Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 26th. Did you see the op-ed in the New York Times yesterday by sociologist and former Bernie Sanders advisor Nick Hill-Goyle called America Pulled Children Out of Poverty? Now it's set to reverse course with a vengeance. Here is Bernie Sanders on the topic with CNN's Jake Tapper last week. You know, Jake, take a deep breath. We're talking about the head of General Motors making $29 million a year. We're talking about the rich getting richer. And yet we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of almost any major country on earth. What a, what a disgrace. So Nick Hill-Goyle was a Sanders advisor on children and education. And his New York Times op-ed is linked to a new book by him called Live to See the Day, Coming of Age in American Poverty. And just to get our priorities straight, if we can't solve child poverty in this richest country, probably in the history of humanity, where are our priorities? Nick Hill, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. To start on the news, as your op-ed does, how did we recently pull children out of poverty? The census recently put out their annual poverty report for uh, year 2022, and they found that within just one year, uh, the child poverty rate more than doubled, uh, which means that uh, more than 5 million children were plunged back into poverty. Uh, it is the largest single single largest increase um, in uh, recorded American history. Um, and it is due to the expiration of the child tax credit um, and among other uh, pandemic-related uh, economic programs. Yeah, and I think our listeners, a lot of our listeners know at least a little bit about the expanded child tax credit during the pandemic and that Congress let it die. But but let us in on some detail of how it worked, since you know it at that level. And it wasn't just the child tax credit during the pandemic that contributed to this drop in child poverty, right? Sure. You know, it's quite remarkable to think about the history over just the past couple of years where both President Donald Trump and President Biden have enacted trillions of dollars of spending that have dramatically reduced poverty and particularly child poverty. Um, you can start with the economic impact payments, the stimulus checks, uh, the expanded unemployment insurance, and then finally the expanded uh, child tax credit. But you can also look at the variety of social programs from the expansion of SNAP benefits to the emergency rental assistance um, to uh, Medicaid, uh, expansion of Medicaid. Um, it, it is just remarkable the, uh, the spree of programs that have strengthened American families and children over the past couple of years. And, you know, I started at the Senate uh, the day the American Rescue Plan was voted on uh, through by, uh, by the Senate. Um, and that piece of legislation was historic in lifting millions of people out of poverty and economic insecurity. Um, and what we're seeing today is a rebound in poverty as those programs begin to expire or have already winded down. Why isn't this set of policies politically popular enough to maintain, do you think? I think one of the challenges we faced with the expanded child tax credit um, is that a lot of people didn't realize that it was a it was a new style of a new program in that it wasn't just another 
pandemic program. And so a lot of people didn't realize that this was uh, a, a, a separate entity apart from the stimulus payments. Um, and then I think the, the, ch- the other challenge was around messaging. Um, I think Democrats didn't do a sufficient enough job in taking credit for the lar- one of the largest expansions of the safety net for children and families in modern American history. Um, you know, I wish the president and other Democrats, you know, had town halls and and had you know primetime speeches talking about the success of this program. I mean, just within a couple of months from July 2021 to the end of 2021. Um, you know, three million kids were lifted out of poverty just due to the expanded child tax credit. It was a remarkable piece of social uh, policy uh, that few people really uh, understood and grappled with. Um, and so I think we, you know, uh, the consequence of that, uh, the expiration of that, um, as a result of the uh, the fact that uh, Senator Joe Manchin and fifty Senate Democrats, fifty Senate Republicans, refused to support the expansion. Um, you know, we have we we are in this dire situation uh, today. Before we get into one of those individual stories, Nick Hill, on the policy we were just discussing, people will say, you know, those pandemic emergency policies may have been necessary, but they're unsustainable as permanent policy without running up the national debt so much it would burden those same children of today with crushing economics as they come of age. Do you disagree? You know, I would start by citing the National Academy study on child poverty. And and the National Academies found that the annual toll of child poverty ranges from $800 billion to $1.1 trillion. That is an extraordinary amount of money. And that costs all of us, whether you are poor, middle class, or wealthy. Um, it, it costs us in the form of higher spending on public assistance programs, on higher crime, on higher social dislocation, on lower economic productivity. It hurts our economy and American democracy. And so, I, you know, when we make these investments on the front end by, uh, in, in children and families, uh, we see uh, extremely positive outcomes on the back end in terms of longer life expectancy, better health better educational attainment, um, improved quality of life, among other things. Uh, it is, it is, it, the evidence is, is very clear based on decades and decades of, of research. And critics will also say the pandemic spending, to the extent that uh, the federal government did spend so much money, is also one of the causes of inflation right now, which is the main economic burden that many Americans are feeling at the moment. Um, and and also responding politically, perhaps to the advantage of Republicans. That happened in the congressional races in the New York suburbs last year, where that plus plus crime helped to flip Congress. Uh, your thoughts on that? You know the the uh, the notion uh, around uh, the pandemic programs increasing inflation is you know it's an important conversation to be had. Um, I just want to be very clear that these pandemic programs prevented mass death and suffering. People are alive today uh, and and have families because those programs existed. So I think it's very important to at least acknowledge that situation. Um, you know, uh, there are a, a number of causes of inflation. We, you know, we can, I think uh, economists have largely pointed to the supply shocks of a pandemic in, in creating inflation. Um, and we have now seen inflation cooling down over the past uh, year, uh, thanks to a, a series of policies and the economic 
recovery. Um, you know, when we were trying to pass Build Back Better in 2021, one of the uh, programs in that bill was a massive investment in uh, pre K and childcare, two programs that would have uh, dramatically helped curtail. Uh, inflation in this country by allowing uh, parents, especially mothers, uh, go, go into the, the labor force uh, and stay in the labor force. Um, so I think there's a number of policies that we can implement uh, to bring down inflation even further and provide people with economic security. Um, and then on the crime issue, um, I think it's, you know, we, I think Democrats need to talk seriously about crime and particularly not just about crime as a kind of metaphysical, theoretical sense, but in the in the sense in the sense that people deserve to live in safe communities, people deserve to live uh, walk down the street and have no fear of getting shot or mugged or assaulted. Um, and we have that means addressing the root causes of crime and delinquency uh, by investing in programs and uh, and and other services that address crime, uh, particularly poverty, economic insecurity, lack of educational opportunity. Uh, and lack of summer and after-school programs for our young people. Now, this is a policy book, but largely it's a personal storybook, as I mentioned before, and as you follow three children and their families from Philadelphia. In the op-ed, you focus on one of the three, Emmanuel Coriano. What made you choose him? So in Live to See the Day, um, I followed three young people uh, who grew up in the poorest neighborhood of Philadelphia, Kensington. Um, and Kensington uh, is an astonishing place, um, both um, you know, in terms of social and economic inequality. Um, to, give, to paint a little bit of a picture, um, it is uh, the life expectancy for babies born in Kensington is 71, 17 fewer years than the, the babies born just four miles away in Society Hill, uh, a wealthy white neighborhood. Um, and the conditions in the neighborhood um, are are incredible. The levels of poverty and incarceration and crime and uh, and and other social ills. And I met three of these young people, Ryan, uh, Emmanuel, and Giancarlos, when they started attending El Centro de Estudiantes, an alternative last chance high school in the neighborhood. Um, and and Emmanuel in particular has. Um, you know, just a very moving story. Um, he was raised by a single disabled mother who uh, subsided on uh, supplemental security income, SSI, as well as temporary assistance for needy families, uh, TANF, um, which yielded less than $10,000 a month. Um, and, and, it, and so they tried to live on that. And it meant that um, they had to um, endure evictions and housing insecurity, uh, food insecurity, hunger, um, deep, deep poverty, living in very uh, violent, unsafe neighborhoods. Um, you know, Emmanuel had to endure enormous instability and insecurity in his life um, while later on grappling with his sexual orientation. He eventually comes out to his mother as bisexual um, and has to maneuver uh, a, a cruel, cruel society uh, amid uh, social um, social depression and and uh, and other uh, issues. Um, and so in the book, I provide an intimate portrait of these young people, li these lives, as well as an intergenerational account of their mothers, because I thought it was very important to show how the reproduction of poverty exists from one generation to another, 
um, and and how the the conditions that affected uh, Emmanuel's mother Yvette are ones that also uh, deeply uh, are, are are affecting his life uh, uh, in his childhood. Right. So where's he at today? And do you know what policies he would support um, for kids who may be starting out life the way he did? So Emmanuel now is uh, known as Karem, using they, them pronouns. Um, remarkably, Karem is a staff member at El Centro de Estudiantes. Um, they, they had tried community college for a couple semesters after graduating high school. Um, and the the burden of housing costs made it difficult for them to stay uh, in school. Um, and but and so today, you know, they're living uh, in much greater economic security, um, which is, you know, I think uh, really just I'm 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 thrilled about, uh, you know, his, his their work and their career and, and their economic situation uh, compared to what they were enduring in, in childhood. Um, and in terms of policies, you know, I talk to the kids uh, often about policy. I'd ask them, you know, if you had a magic wand, uh, if you could wave a magic wand, what policies would you implement? And they, they talked about all the way from better funded schools, schools that had decent infrastructure. Um, they talked about uh, a, a greater uh, level of SNAP benefits so they didn't have to uh, be hungry so often at the end of the month. They talked about uh, making sure that their neighborhoods uh, weren't afflicted by gun violence, so gun safety measures. Um, and then, you know, other other policies in terms of providing greater opportunities for higher education um, and life, af- life after high school. Um, you know, I think what they indicate is that we really need in this country a broad cradle-to-grave uh, social safety net uh, that strengthens American children and families and provides everyone with a decent standard of living and economic security. Let's take a phone call. Terry in Queens. You're on WNYC. Yeah. Hi, Terry. Yes, good. I, I would like to say basically that there should be some type of um, money that is uh, uh, given by the government for each individual who was born in this uh, society, uh, country. And also they should have uh, food programs. Like if they have fast food uh, restaurants, they should have uh, food services and clothing services for people who are uh, who are needy and stop uh, the uh, city agencies should stop wrongfully terminating parents or people or uh, stop, you know, uh, from their jobs. Because once a, a person is fired, the whole family and, and the whole community spirals uh, into uh, more poverty or deeper poverty. And I think uh, there should be uh, technical training for the new uh, wave in uh, technology for uh, free training for uh, people who are in poverty so they can have a chance to get uh, jobs and on their feet. And as far as homelessness, you have a lot of people who have backyards and spaces that they're not using that are just full with junk, and you can build a tiny little house on in their backyard and, and knock off some of the uh, the mortgage rates that they're paying or use that as some type of tax write-off. And, um, but have like a... Um, uh, if a person is born, they have like a $10,000, $20,000 money that they get from the government based on whatever money they may have uh, from their job. And it's just uh, piled on top of that. And, and and people can survive with more resources, money, uh, and uh, a place where they can get free clothing, free food, not just uh, uh, like clothes from uh, different uh, designers or different companies that make clothes mm-hmm. like The Gap and so forth, and sneakers and shoes, so they can feel good about themselves, but also at the same time, uh, don't look like they're poor. 
and desperate because des- desperate people do desperate things to stay alive. I'll, you, I'll continue you, to you, listen. You've obviously thought about this a lot, Terry. And you told our screener you have some personal connection that led you to think so deeply about this issue. Do you oh, want yeah, to share yeah. any of that? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I lost my job. Uh, wrongfully terminated. And New York City does not hire you if you're fired from New York City agency. You can't work for any other agency. So if I was wrongfully terminated based on a disability and um, another agency can't pick me up, then I go into poverty. And then my children suffer. Child support is another situation where they just uh, take so much money from the, 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 uh, the non-custodial parent or the father that he cannot survive. And, it's, and, the, and the money doesn't really go to the children. It goes to the, the system. So that's another uh, agency that has to be uh, uh, reevaluated and, um, and, uh, because it really doesn't help the kids. It hurts. Terry, th- thank you for all of that. Obviously, a lot of people would push back on that last thought uh, about men not paying their child support. But we're going to go on to another caller, Adam in Manhattan. You're on WNYC. Hi, Adam. Hi. Hey, I love the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure. I'm calling because when... When we were seven, my father left. There was no card, no check. He just took off. Uh, my mom had three kids, literally lived on a dead-end street, and we needed programs like welfare, and we needed food stamps to get back on our feet. And it makes me really sad that people forget that we're just human beings trying to live and do what we can. Uh, all of us kids had jobs as, as teens. I had two jobs at 15, and we needed those programs. I really want people to understand that. Not everyone using these programs is just trying to take advantage of people. I think a lot of people take advantage of programs all over the place, including tax breaks for big corporations, but we're just human beings trying to survive. Thank you so much for talking about this subject. Adam, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, Adam talks about his his dad leaving when, when he was seven. Um, the, there's another new book. Um, related to child poverty, getting some buzz right now. It's Melissa Kearney's new book called The Two-Parent Privilege. And as described by New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof, it's the one privilege liberals ignore. That's the headline of his column on it. And he cites stats from the book, including families headed by single mothers are five times as likely to live in poverty as married couple families, and children in single mother homes are less likely to graduate from high school or earn a college degree. They're more likely to become single parents themselves, perpetuating the cycle, unquote. Have you read that book, or how much do you agree or disagree with its premise as one of the things that society needs to focus on if it's going to try to end child poverty? I have not had a chance to read the book. I've, I read the uh, New York Times opinion piece based on the book, uh, which was quite interesting. Um, I, you know, there is a a thread in in Kensington where many of the children uh, who lived in poverty grew up in single parent households. Um, I I would I would be interested in dwelling less on that point and more so about. Uh, what types of programs and policies would keep families together um, and and strengthen uh, and strengthen those uh, folks? Um, you know, I think I I I don't know if she if this writer uh, uh, mentions this, but it would be very imp- powerful to have a universal childcare program uh, so that single mothers and and fathers uh, can can enter the workforce and stay in the workforce uh, without you know the fear of their children not having a safe place to be during the day. Um, 
you know, I th- I'd be more interested in talking about the types of policies uh, that would uh, help families in whatever situation they might they might be in. I played earlier a clip of Bernie Sanders, who you worked for um, when he was chair of the Senate Budget Committee as an advisor on children and education. And I wonder about other countries as models as we set up another Bernie Sanders clip here. Here again is Bernie Sanders on CNN last week. So, of course, we have to restore that child tax credit. We have to end this obscenity of how we treat our children We have to deal with income and wealth inequality. We need health care. For these are not radical ideas. These are ideas that exist in many countries all over the world. As we run out of time, um, we we were talking about the pandemic national policies that are getting undone, which were so successful at reducing child poverty in this country. But but I'm curious if you think looking back. Um, that the LBJ war on poverty, which might have been the most explicit attempt to end child poverty in this country that goes all the way back to the 1960s or any other longer-term policies that have been in effect have worked or not worked? It's a, it's a great question. Uh, there is a lot of evidence to show that uh, the Great Society programs uh, reduced poverty and economic insecurity all the way from Medicare to Medicaid to um, the expansion of Social Security benefits uh, to uh, to expansion of school meals. Um, one of the challenges, though, is that the too often uh, uh, one of the challenges is that uh, the Great Society did not include a number of other important programs, and it too often relied on a premise that we can simply educate people out of poverty. Um, I think we need a public jobs program um, that will provide everyone with decent public employment uh, that that is unionized and pays a living wage. Um, And we've got to go much further um, in in really developing and investing in public goods. Uh, And and that means uh, a public option in in various sectors, a public option in childcare, in housing, in healthcare, um, in in broadband, Um, because it's not simply enough to uh, to subsidize the private sector, we've got to build state capacity to deliver decent goods and benefits uh, to families and communities. And you know, there's a lot of great work happening across this country. I'll give one example. Uh, you know, in, in Illinois, you know, the governor of Illinois, uh, J.B. Pritzker, has recently announced a, a major initiative to bring grocery stores into uh, into food deserts, and that includes publicly owned. Uh, grocery stores where uh, you know municipalities and cities and towns can invest in their own grocery stores uh, that are that provide more affordable nutritious food for their residents uh, there's a lot that we can do on the front end in terms of building up the public sector um, and uh, that will reduce poverty but also economic uh, insecurity at large and there we will leave it with Nicole Goyle his important new release, Live to See the Day, Coming of Age in American Poverty. Thanks so much for sharing your book with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.